Good morning and welcome to our program, Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. And it is our desire at American Heritage to explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. Understanding the history of this great nation is paramount in understanding our greatness. Today, we're pleased to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Lydia Nuttall. Lydia, welcome back, and thank you for coming back and sharing again with us today. Absolutely, Arch. We have to finish up. Uh, Lydia is an award-winning author, listeners, Forgotten American Stories, and again, I highly recommend her books. You can purchase her book. And Lydia, if you would share with our listeners where they'd be able to get your book, and we'll continue with Lexington and Concord. Yeah, ForgottenAmericanStories.com. Just go right there. As soon as it gets on the homepage, you can see where you can purchase that. Just thirty-seven fifty. It's a great family resource. I wrote it for families so that moms and dads can teach. These forgotten stories are just one page. That's it. One page forgotten American stories to your kids with great activities, geography, vocabulary, points to ponder, quotes from our founders. It's all in there. So there you go. ForgottenAmericanStories.com. And listen, I think Lydia's being a little humble. There's also <laughs> beautiful pictures, glossy pictures in there that it gives you another sense of the situations and the different chapters and articles that Lydia has written in her book. And again, Lydia, I'm correct, and it's now in its second printing? Yep, second printing. And yeah, another mom friend of mine, we used to stay up till one in the morning every fourth Sunday and just raid online the Library of Congress for any kind of pictures that would depict these stories, Forgotten American stories, that would, if they moved us as moms, we knew it would move others. And that's what we wanted is for our kids for us as grownups and parents to be moved into positive action, to listen to and read these stories and be inspired to be better than we are in whatever way. So that was the intent. So yeah, the pictures are amazing. Yeah, they are. They are truly amazing. And just fascinating to look and study in and of themselves. Yeah, very true. So, Lydia, we're talking about Lexington Concord and why it's called the shot heard around the world. And we discussed in our last program what happened on the Lexington Green with the militia and with Captain John Pitcairn and General Smith. And after that tragedy on the Lexington Green, the British then reformed their lines, reformed their troops, and the 700 British soldiers then begin their march down about five or six more miles to Concord. And I remind our listeners that these British soldiers now have been up all night. They have marched almost 18 miles. They're tired. They're hungry. A lot of them were wet because of the weather that had been transpiring. And now they're on their way to Concord at this point. And so that's where we're going to pick up. And Lydia, if I remember correctly, we were talking about the ramifications of what happened here, not knowing that this is the shot heard around the world. And Thomas Gage's fear was not wanting this local skirmish to spread like wildfire. Yeah, which it did. To the other colonies. And so this is why Thomas Gage did what he did to try to isolate this outside of the Boston area with the militia at this point. So he was very aware of the potential of what could happen here and the ill effects that it could have. So that's one of the reasons he used such an overwhelming force, 700 soldiers marching out to Lexington to ultimately get out to Concord at that point to take the supplies of the militia. And at the same time, remembering what would that cause in the militia's mind and their emotions, seeing that 700 British soldiers were coming at them. Well, yeah, if anything would put me on the defensive. I mean, if I was a school kid and I had the principal and a couple teachers calling me into an office, 
I mean, the defensive just with that. So you could imagine the townspeople seeing, well, the country, number one, being invaded by these foreign soldiers, even though we were still British Americans. But, you know, that's threatening. That, to me, that would be threatening. You know, what are their intentions? Oh, they're going to take our powder away, our shot, our weapons, our cannon, whatever, you know, anything that was militarily advantageous. They were there to take that away when they leave us defenseless. What's wrong with this picture here? You know, so. You know, we have talked back and forth about trying to understand the British viewpoint, understand the militia's viewpoint. And your point that you were just making is for 120 years, it was the responsibility of the colonists to defend themselves. And that's why they had militias. That's why they had their own weaponry, which is small, but they had their own weaponry and gunpowder. So when the British soldiers are now occupying Boston and the parliament and the king is now saying to colonists, you can, number one, no longer govern yourselves. They put military governors in charge of the colonists, which obviously angered them. They couldn't, the colonists couldn't judge themselves anymore. They're now going to be judged by British judges who have a total different legal system than we do. Right. And they're being paid by the king. So whose side are the judges going to take anything that the king wants? When the British soldiers come, they are now forced to be housed in the homes of colonists inside of Boston. So there's always two sides to this. And for a hundred and some years, it was our responsibility as colonists to defend ourselves against particularly Native Americans or attacks from other people at that point, primarily Native Americans. So when the British soldiers show up and all that becomes moot at that point, we can only imagine the anger that is felt and the frustration that was being felt by a tremendous amount of patriot colonists at that point. Yeah. And then you take the British troops side. What were the stories they were being told? I mean, I heard, you know, they, they honestly, many of them felt that the militia were just cowards, just like dogs, just, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of respect for the militia. I don't know. It is just a mess when people don't take the time to understand the other side. But but then again, think of it. They didn't really have any time to really, you know, hey, you want to come over and have a cup of soup? You know, let's discuss our differences. I mean, when you look out your window as a colonist and you're seeing all those lobster backs walking up the road, you know, 700 of them and they're armed, what are you going to think? It's like, okay, there's something really wrong here. How come they're not still in Boston? Why are they marching here? What are they going to do? Why are they all armed? Are we safe? Um, and then you find out, yeah, they're going to take your, your ammo away. Oh, I wonder how we can relate that to America today. You tell I mean, me. Yeah. <laughs> is, that's one of the reasons why we have our Second Amendment today is because we believe in the principle of being able to protect yourself, your property, your family, protect your unalienable rights from infringement. And you can't protect your family, yourself, your rights with a squirt gun or a little pocket knife or a baseball bat. <laughs> you know what I mean? When the other side is armed to the hilt. And so back to your, your comment earlier about the importance of having for the British colonial people to have an armed militia, it's because they knew you have to have something to fight with. If you're in a squabble with a bully, 
the bully's going to win if he's bigger than you, especially if he's armed. So you've got to be equipped, especially if you're smaller, with something equivalent or bigger in order to protect yourself from the bully. Otherwise, the bully's going to totally take advantage of you. And that is often horrific. So those are my comments. Those are my peanuts from the Nuttall Gallery. <laughs> Let's get back to Concord, please. Which, okay. By the way, you and I, hopefully, I would love to do another show with you in the future about the Second Amendment. Okay. Sounds great. Okay. Bring it on. It's not a challenge. It's not a challenge. It's just, no, not, didn't, I didn't mean that as a challenge. It's just that we, we would have a great conversation about the Second Amendment, I believe. Okay. So why was it called the shot around the world? Is there another reason other than the fact that this started the Revolution War, that it wasn't intended to even break out as a war? It wasn't what General Gage wanted. It definitely wasn't what the colonial people wanted. I believe both sides would have loved to have peace and wake up every morning to sunny skies and birds singing rather than hearing shotguns and cannon, etc. But it changed the whole world because... It led to, ultimately, Declaration of Independence. Okay, so I'm going to give you a long answer. Okay, long I'm, answer. I'm, uh, and then eventually, long, everyone will get to Concord. <laughs> we're going to get there. But if you remember back on, on our previous shows, we talked about Samuel Adams was convinced that the only way we could ever have our independence is to declare war on, on the Brits, ourselves. Was it to declare war or was it to declare independence, which then led to war? He understood that they weren't opposites. If we're going to declare independence on our own country, what it's going to cause at that point. He, he understood that. He understood that it would come to unfortunate bloodshed. At the First Continental Congress in September of the year before, they came up with the plan to try to have peace with the parliament and King George, and obviously the king totally rejected it at that point. And the Second Continental Congress was going to reconvene in May of 1775. Lexington and Concord happened in April, April 19th of 1775. So Samuel Adams could go back to the Second Continental Congress with concrete evidence that we needed to have a declaration of independence and we needed to declare ourselves independent of Great Britain, knowing that ultimately what that would cause because the king and parliament were not going to let us go at that point. So Lexington happens, Concord happens, outside of all the fears of what General Gage was very fearful what ultimately would cause at that point. So Second Continental Congress then reconvenes in May of 1775. The actual war begins with Lexington and Concord, but we still don't get to a formal declaration of independence for another whole year. Right. So that, that's July of 1776 at that point. So what happened was, or, or the last part of your answer is, what Lexington and Concord did was it started our revolution at that point. And then eight years went by. We finally won our independence from Great Britain. In three years, the French declare war on the British. Then Spain declares war on the British the following year. Then the Dutch declare war on the British because they all wanted land back. They all wanted a piece of their empire back in Europe and in the Caribbean. So exactly what Thomas Gage's fears were, obviously for the British became true, which causes the British not only to be fighting here, but also in the Caribbean, also in the Mediterranean, 
also now having to take on this large French fleet and then the Spanish fleet and then also take on the Dutch. So the shot heard around the world that it has two ramifications. One, our revolution gave us our independence. Our revolution gave us a Jeffersonian republic, a democracy. And from ours, there are now approximately 140 nations around the world that have the same type of constitution or parliamentary constitution that we do. So the short-term effect on it becomes a world war. The long-term effect of the shot, the continuing shot, is that so many more countries today, because of our revolution, now enjoy the privileges of self-government. Yeah, and for the freedom that comes with that is beautiful. Yeah. At that point. Now, that's a long answer. I apologize for a the nice long one. answer. A nice one. Good answer. Good answer. I'm not sure there's a long, nice long answer, but you're being kind. So what <laughs> happens when the British troops get out to Concord? From what I remember, there were 10 regiments or three regiments or something that were ordered to go to the North Bridge. There were two bridges, the South Bridge of Concord and then the North Bridge. And so there were troops, British troops that were in charge of securing the North Bridge. And meanwhile, there were British that were hunting, trying to find those Easter eggs, got to find the cannon, we got to find powder and shot and anything else that might be of military value to us. You know, they went on a hunt throughout the town to try to find these stores. And I don't think they really found anything because other than I did hear a story, well, because of the work that William Dawes and Samuel Prescott were successful in breaking through the British lines or whatever and getting to Concord before the British did to let the people know, hey, the regulars are coming, you know, they're coming for your ammunition, etc. They were able to hide the cannon. I think they had, what, three cannon? I don't know. One. They had four. They had four. And were they buried like someone had buried them in their yard? They buried their ammunition and ultimately, or the British found... The militia was able to get three cannons out of there. Okay. And so the British only captured one cannon, but they also captured the five, they fought, they captured 500 pounds of musket balls. And again, remember we talked about if you multiply that out because a musket ball is about an ounce, that's 8,000 musket balls. Wow. And also the gunpowder. So how come we weren't able to hide it? How come they couldn't hide it? They did hide it. It was, it was buried, but they, they were easily when it was buried in a short amount of time, you can pretty much see where... Oh, fresh dirt. <laughs> I wonder what's buried here. As some of the British regiments were guarding the old North Bridge, the militias go there because they see the smoke, as we talked about, and they, the rumor is that the British are burning down all the buildings, which they didn't, and the British rear guard was at the North Bridge. Militias go there, and we have this firefight that is there. And remember that in this time period, in military strategy, European military strategy, you don't shoot officers. You just don't shoot officers. Oh, but we did, didn't we? The militia. The militia. And today we know, boy, they're the first people you want to shoot because it causes chaos. So some of the British officers were shot. A few of the British soldiers were shot and killed there at that point. And so when the rest of the British troops come back to the old North Bridge, the militias are gone. They disappeared at that point, and they're reconfiguring or they're reforming all their men together. And then the British start the propaganda of these brutal acts that some of the militia did. And again, they're also saying, these savages are shooting our officers. And no one that is a true warrior or a soldier at that time would ever think about shooting officers. 
at that point. So that's where those rumors come from. So as the British now are marching back to Lexington, or through, we want to march back to Lexington, then all the way back to Boston, Liddy, it's about one third in the afternoon. Now think about how long these men have been up and marching. Yeah, they've now not slept for almost 48 hours. And I don't know what their food was like. I mean, I heard once they landed, well, I was about to talk, it was even before Lexington, but the, they had a, the Navy uh, give them their rations. But I don't know, did they give them enough rations for the amount of time that they wound up being engaged in this? They had enough rations for breakfast and lunch at that point. So you got tired, hungry, cranky British men, British troops. And and then it amazed me how they're going back now on this narrow road because, you know, I'm used to highways and stuff. It's just a narrow road. And the militia are on the sides picking them off, you know, if they're snipers. And, and, and oh, and this was interesting. Okay, tell me if this is, you know, fact check me, Archie. Okay, is, I'll try. Is, um, the British only gave each of their men in their regiments just 36 cartridges each because they didn't think it was going to be a gunfire type Correct. thing. They thought they'd win just by the element of surprise, which was totally blown by, you know, Paul Revere and William Dawes, et cetera, Samuel Prescott. Um, so there was no more element of surprise. And so it wound up being, you know, a gunfire thing most of the way to Concord and, of course, on the way back. And then with only 36 cartridges, I mean, how far is that going to go? It's 20 miles now back to Boston, right? Right, right. And you've got militia on both sides of the road picking you off with their gunfire. And that had to have been a really horrible feeling to be on the side of the British knowing you've got 20 miles to march and you don't even have enough ammo yourself. And what happened was, is as rumors go out and people, we now know there was probably 4,000 militia that come from all areas and they're waiting for the British in the woods as they're marching back through Lexington and then on their way back to Concord. And fortunately, General Smith had sent word back to Great Britain or to Boston to Thomas Gage that send some reinforcements out here. So it wasn't too far past Lexington where now they have some fresh British soldiers as reinforcements trying to protect the British soldiers on their way back to Boston. But militia is all along the road, and this really becomes a royal riot at that point. The militia is all the way picking off and firing at the British all the way back into Boston, which took them several hours to get there at that point. So I've got a, a question is, so now did the British take, what did you say, 5,000 pounds of musket balls? 500 pounds. And I mean, so 500 pounds. So they've got to carry this all back with them along with the, how many cannon? One? They found a cannon? Well, they, they only took one cannon. Okay. Other three were gone. So that's kind of weighing them down too. And so you've got militia who are not too happy about knowing what the British have. Hey, those are our musket balls. Hey, we're being fired upon. Hey, they're they're shooting at us. Hey, they're taking, they're here. They're infiltrating our country on and on and on. And it's, and just the knowledge or the lack of knowledge or the propaganda or whatever people want to call it is getting higher and higher, more heated as the militia is firing at the British soldiers all the way back to Boston. And the numbers, Lydia, which we have to understand, are not high compared to what we tragically see today, but about 250 British soldiers are killed and wounded on the way back to Boston. And a lot of times, there's a high percentage, if you're wounded, ultimately, you're probably going to die from either amputation or you know, gangrene. 90 militia are killed or wounded as the British soldiers are going back into Boston. So ultimately, the British soldiers get back into Boston. 
and this major tragedy now has happened, or major embarrassment, I should say, for the British have happened. Thomas Gage's, General Gage's fears are now well played out at this point, and he knows, Lydia, he knows we are now past the point of no return. So to try to stop this from going out farther, or again, leaking out, Thomas Gage sent word back to Great Britain of what happened. And he asked Parliament, give me 20,000 soldiers, which is, it's, that's over half of the British military. Give me 20,000 British soldiers, because Gage still understood or believed that if he could surround Boston and keep this fire local. Control, like a, like a control burn. Yeah. Control burn. This could, yeah. this could be stopped. Well, again, Parliament didn't understand. King George didn't understand. So the king sent him 2,000 soldiers and three generals. So we know that the king sending three generals with the message of, hey, you could be replaced. You've got to stop this. Well, Gage knew that he's not going to stop this with only 2,000 more soldiers at that point. So that's what leads to the siege of Boston. And that's what leads to ultimately the whole different program or programs on Bunker Hill or Breed, but that we know it is actually his Breed's Hill at that point. So Gage's request is turned down. 2,000 soldiers are sent to Thomas Gage. Three generals, which was William Howe, General Burgoyne, and General Clinton, were sent to Thomas Gage. And ultimately, that leads to Thomas Gage being relieved of command, and he is sent back to Great Britain with his wife and their children at that point. Do they live happily ever after? Uh, he stays in the military and is ensuing in some uh, European battles at that point. But he knew that there was no way that they're going to stop this at that point. He, because again, he knew us, he understood us. He understood the Colin. So this Lexington and Concord, Lydia, is really the beginning of the end and the unraveling of the British Empire. Because if we can get away with this, other colonies that are under British control in the Caribbean and in, in the Mediterranean area and Southeast Asia, they also now will begin to peck away at the British Empire for their freedom. So this is really the beginning of the end of the British Empire. This is why King George fought so hard to hold on, because if, if we could get away, other colonies would get away, which would eliminate the British Empire around the world. This local conflict spreads out, obviously, to all 13 colonies. The colonial conflict erupts into a world war. And as, as we said, ultimately, it leads to the rippling effect of countries all around the world also fighting and wanting a democratic type of government at this point. Now, one last thing, Liddy, on the negative side, because our militias thought that they were extremely successful. So the militias mentality was we could fight the British with militias. At the Second Continental Congress, when General George Washington was given commander of the Continental Army, he had the different philosophy that we needed a standing army. We could only fight the British with a well-regulated standing army. So it took Washington from 1775 to the winter encampment at Valley Forge, which was 77-78, where he could finally get a standing army to fight against the British. So the good and the bad of Lexington and Concord for the British is what happened and how it could not be controlled any longer. And the bad for the militias was the thinking that the militias could fight the British. So we see Washington having several defeats along the way before Valley Forge. That's fascinating. I would not have connected those dots. Well, 
we're going to continue to connect those dots. So again, I see way <laughs> past our time, Lydia. So again, thank you for coming and talking about Lexington and Concord and the story there. And there's so much more that we could go into for hopefully some future shows. So Lydia, thank you. And listeners, please, Lydia's book, Forgotten American Stories and where you're able to purchase that, you'll never regret getting your copy. Lydia, thank you for coming. Thank you, Arch. My privilege to have you with us. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.